Welcome to Your Truth Revealed podcast, helping you bloom in self-awareness and enjoy. I'm Erica Marcoux, and with the Masters in Counseling Psychology, I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview helping professionals to explore your hidden truth and potential. Welcome to season three. This episode is titled Your Reincarnation with child psychiatrist Jim Tucker. I contacted him as I was watching the Netflix series Surviving Death. He reveals children's accounts of remembering their past lives. I'm glad to give you the opportunity to listen in on our conversation as it may tickle a place in you that may lie dormant. I've been studying reincarnation for 20 years. Children will typically start talking about the past life at age two or three. We focus on children because they are the ones who are most likely to have these memories. And we can be pretty confident that a two or three-year-old has not been exposed to some obscure figure from history. Jim received his medical degree in psychiatry and undergrad degree in psychology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He is the Bonner Lowry Professor of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia and the director of the UVA Division of Perceptual Studies. Listen as Jim and I explore these children's memories and the message they may reveal about our soul's experience. Jim, I so appreciate you coming on the show. I have a personal interest in the topic of reincarnation. It's fascinated me most of my life. What have you discovered in your combined 50 years of research with reincarnation? You're right. This work has been going on now, really, for almost 60 years at the University of Virginia, focused on young children who report memories of a past life. And we've now studied over 2,500 cases. Many of the children give details about a past life that have been verified to match the life of somebody who actually lived and died in the past, a total stranger in another place usually somebody who is unknown to the child's family from various parts of the world. Many of the children also show behaviors or emotions that seem linked to their memories. Mm -hmm. For instance, in the cases where the previous person died violently, 35% of those children will show an intense fear or phobia toward the mode of death. There was a girl in Asia who... From the time she was born, she hated being put in water, and it would take three adults to hold her down to give her bath when she was an infant. And then when she got old enough to talk, she reported details from the life of a girl in another village who had drowned in an accident. That's fascinating. It's not just a case of facts or information that has carried over or that the child has access to. But more, it seems that it's the experiences that have carried over. It certainly seems like experiences that this child had before. One of the key things that you have said is that consciousness is primary and that consciousness inhabits a physical brain. Regarding consciousness being primary, that idea actually comes from quantum physics. Our cases provide evidence for it because it seems to show that. This child's consciousness existed before the child was born. And in our cases, at least, it existed in another person who had a life and then died. And what I understand from physics is that energy can't be created or destroyed, but it can be transferred and transformed. 
Yes. Quantum physics is extremely hard for us to understand and even for physicists to. There are many different interpretations, but it appears that, let me put very simply, that observation is essential for things to actually happen. It was Max Planck, who's considered the founder of quantum physics, who said that consciousness is fundamental, and he felt that physical matter was derived from it. That's a big concept to kind of wrap your head around. And these cases provide evidence that's certainly consistent with that idea. And my observation, children in general, they're not just blank slates. I don't think they come into being without some sort of knowledge. And you can chalk that up to, okay, it's evolution, it's in the genes. But for my observation, it does seem to be consciousness itself. And with people who have particular talents or certain knowing without having had that lived experience in this lifetime, I've seen that again and again. Yeah, and certainly Ian Stevenson, my mentor who started this work, he argued that past lives should be considered a third factor in personality development, that clearly genetics and environment play a big role. But he argued that there was this third factor that, like you say, explains things that otherwise are extremely hard to make sense of. Some of the things that kids come into this world with, it's certainly worth considering. Oh, I agree. So far in the interview, Jim is describing these children giving details about their life. He is, it seems in most cases, able to verify these facts and match it to the life of someone who has deceased. More importantly, the consciousness that carries over are these experiences that the children are remembering. And the definition of consciousness in its simplest form is self-awareness of the internal feelings and thoughts also awareness of one's external situation. I too believe that consciousness itself, if we call that the soul, incarnates into a physical body and uses the brain, the nervous system, as opposed to this concept that the brain is the soul. It would be very interesting if we took into account the development of our personality. There's the genetics, which is the physical material that we inherit, the environment that we are brought up in, and potentially past life information. Experience has been carried over. Let's get back to the interview. I learned about you from the Netflix series Surviving Death and a specific episode on reincarnation and was really fascinated by the case study that you had with James Leininger. Can you tell me more about what you saw with him? Yeah, that's quite an interesting case. His parents wrote a book about their experiences. They're this Christian couple in Louisiana, and his father in particular was quite opposed to the idea of past lives before his son seemingly started to remember one. It appears that he was remembering the life of a World War II pilot, and it is now believed that that pilot has been identified. This story started when James was 22 months old. His dad took him to a flight museum, and James was fascinated by the World War II exhibit. He kept insisting on going back there, and they ended up spending three hours in the museum. He was only 22 months old. That's right. And okay. 
for those of us with toddlers in museums, three hours, that alone is pretty exceptional. Then a couple months after that, around his second birthday, he started having horrible nightmares multiple times a week in which he would be kicking his legs up in the air and screaming, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. And during the day, he would take his little toy airplanes and crash them into the coffee table over and over again and saying, airplane crash on fire. He really looked like a traumatized child, but he hadn't been through any trauma, at least in this life. Mm -hmm. And then there were several times where his parents were able to talk about this material with him while he was awake. He said his plane had crashed on fire and had been shot down by the Japanese. He had flown a Corsair. I'd never heard of a Corsair, but it was a special plane that was developed during World War II. In fact, after this case got some publicity, skeptics said, well, he just heard the term Corsair at the Flight Museum and the name stuck with him. If you go to the Flight Museum's website, it shows that they do have a Corsair. James's dad said it was not there when they went. I looked into it to see if that was true, and I discovered online. The museum had a Corsair that had crashed at a public air show a year before, and then I called up the Flight Museum and found out that they didn't get the replacement until a couple of years later. Okay, so, there you go. Yeah, that was not where James learned about a Corsair. No. He also said that he had flown off of a boat, and his parents asked him the name of the boat, and he said Natoma which is a pretty unusual guess for a U.S. aircraft carrier. His dad said, well, that sounds Japanese to me. And James said, I know it was American. James was how old when he was saying these things? At this point, he was 28 months old when he came out with the term Natoma. Looking at a child's development and their vocabulary is not that big. And for him to be able to say something like that is remarkable in and of itself. That's right. And we've done psychological testing on these kids. And the main thing that comes out of the testing is that most of them tend to be very bright and verbal. Often they do have better verbal skills than you might expect mm -hmm. in a 28 month old. We know he was 28 months old because after that conversation in the early 2000s, his father searched online and eventually came across information about the USS Natoma Bay. Mm -hmm. which was an aircraft carrier that was stationed in the Pacific during World War II. His dad printed out the information, and at the footer shows the date he printed it out. But it documents that James said this when he was 28 months old. In fact, there was this Natoma Bay that was in the Pacific during World War II. His parents would also ask him what his name was, and he would say, me or James. James the uh, Third. That's right. He would, right. he would say he was James three or, or the third James. They asked him one time who else was there. And he said, Jack Larson. When he was two and a half, his dad bought this book on Iwo Jima to give to his dad, James's grandfather. One day he was looking through it when James came and got in his lap. And they came to a page that showed a picture of Iwo Jima. And James pointed at the picture and said, that's where my plane was shut down. And his dad said, what? And James said, my airplane got shot down there, Daddy. And that just floored his dad that his two-and-a-half-year-old was talking this way. Yeah. And then he learned that Natoma Bay did take part in the Iwo Jima operation. Uh-huh. I'm going back to the fact that he's living in Louisiana, is Christian. 
I can't imagine what his dad would be experiencing or feeling in that moment with his son saying these things. For much of the time, he was experiencing resistance, actually. James's mom was more open to this. His dad started investigating just to show that there was nothing to it. After I met with James and his parents, I also talked with his aunt, who had spent a lot of time with the family. She said a couple of things. One was that these nightmares, they were horrible to even witness. They really looked like someone fighting for his life. The other thing she told me was that his parents often argued about all this, that his dad just thought it was nonsense. It took quite an adjustment on his part. And then when James got old enough to draw, he would draw all these pictures of planes and battle scenes and sign them James III which I thought might be because he was three years old at the time. But his parents asked him about it, and he said, I'm the third James. I'm James III. With all this going on, eventually his parents did begin to wonder, was he recalling a past life? When he was four and a half, his father went to an Atonement Bay reunion, and he learned that, in fact, there had been a Jack Larson on the ship. It turned out this Jack Larson had survived the war and was even still alive. So, oh, really? Yeah. So this Jack Larson was still alive at the time that they it, went to this meeting? That's right. James was born in 1998, so this was in the early 2000s when this was happening. Okay. Then James's dad went and visited Jack Larson and learned that he was on the ship during the Iwo Jima operation. He also learned at the reunion that there was one and only one pilot from the ship who was killed during the Iwo Jima operation. As a young man from Pennsylvania named James Houston, he was James Houston Jr., which would make James Leinecker the third James. That's Um, just amazing. Yeah. Honestly, that's just amazing. James met Jack Larson, is that right? His dad did. I I don't think that James did did himself. James did eventually go to a reunion and meet some of the veterans In fact, his parents said that there was one that he recognized by hearing his voice. They actually gave his name. I don't have verification of that, but that's what his parents reported. We do have definite documentation of what James said before Houston was identified, and they all match perfectly. He also described how he was killed. He said his plane got shot in the engine, crashed in the water, and sank. And that's exactly what happened with Houston's plane. I remember his mom saying those nightmares when James was pre-verbal, when he was a baby, it was almost like he was in a box and trying to kick to get out. Is That's that right? right. Yeah, okay. absolutely. He'd be kicking his legs up, screaming that he couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. And we've got the military documents showing that Houston's plane did crash in the water and very quickly sank. One more factor is that James had said how Jack Larson was there. We've got the military documents showing the flights that day, and the plane next to Houston's, the pilot was Jack Larson. Wow. Yeah. And another part of that story is that the mom contacted James Houston's sister that was still alive at that time, right? That's right. James taught some about family life before the war and said how his father had some alcohol problems and different things going on. And James's mom then called Houston's sister, who apparently confirmed these details. His sister was still alive, actually, when I investigated the case. 
I called her. And at that point, she was 90 years old. I'm curious, how does that phone call even work? Like, you just pick up the phone and what did you say? Well, I must have gotten her number from the Leiningers. I'm sure that they let her know I would be calling. But yeah, I've had other cases, usually by U.S. mail, actually, because it's easiest to find people's addresses. It's an awkward introduction to explain why I'm contacting them. Yeah. In this case, she didn't remember the details about what James's mom had asked her about, but her definite impression was that James had known about their lives before the war, and and she was completely convinced um, that he had remembered her brother's life. Mm -hmm. It's just fascinating. And then that's one case out of 2,500. That's right. That's one of the better ones, to be sure. Yeah. I focused on American cases. James is as strong as any that I've studied. Ian Stevenson, my mentor, studied dozens of very strong Asian cases comparable to James's. Just to be clear, with the 2,500, they really vary with the strength of the evidence. Some of them are Mm -hmm. much stronger than others. Mm -hmm. Um, But they all show that there is this phenomenon that happens all over. Let's pause and take a moment to talk about the case of James Leininger. The book that his parents wrote was called Soul Survivor, The Reincarnation of a War War II Fighter Pilot, and it's by the Leiningers and Ken Gross. I find it very interesting that James Leininger was able to identify that he was flying a Corsair and that he named the aircraft carrier as Natoma. This is exceptional that he had this kind of vocabulary at that age. Lastly, it's remarkable that James's parents were able to identify James Houston Jr. and that Jack Larson and Houston's sister were still alive to interview. This gives a lot of confirmation to the memories that James was having. Let's get back to the interview. Can you tell us a little bit more about Ian Stevenson? I'm curious how he got into this in the 1960s. I know he was the founder and director of the University of Virginia Division on Perceptual Studies, and you're the director now. Yes, Ian started. He came to UVA in 1957 in the middle of quite a successful mentoring career. He was still in his late 30s when he was named chairman of the Department of Psychiatry. He had published dozens of papers, most of them involved with psychosomatic medicines the link between mind and body. He had a long-standing interest in parapsychology and started hearing about these cases of young children from various parts of the world who said they remembered a past life, and he decided to go investigate. He had heard about five cases in India in 1961. Now it's been 60 years. And he went there for a month and found 25 cases. Oh, wow. And he quickly realized this phenomenon was much more common than anyone in the West at least had any idea about. Are there more reported cases in the East where reincarnation is widely accepted versus in the West? It's certainly easier to find cases in those places because people talk about them, word spreads, sometimes they're in newspapers. Ian had associates in different countries looking when he'd take a trip and investigate, but they certainly happen here as well. Now with the internet, when families, when their child is talking about a past life, they'll start doing a search and they'll find out about us. We heard from over 100 American families last year. Is that because of the Netflix series? Well, no, you know, that came out in in January. We're, We're on a faster pace this year, largely because of that. 
It looks like it's a lot more common here than you might think. Whenever I give talks, most of the time, someone in the audience says that they've had a family member who talked about a past life. Of course, it's a selected audience. We've got cases where they're embarrassed, like what their children are saying. They haven't even told the grandparents. Oh, yeah. well, so it sounds like there's shame around it. I often think that shame happens because we just don't have enough knowledge. Maybe there's some fear that comes up because they don't understand what's happening to their child. That's right. There are certainly parents who are upset by this for a variety of reasons. There are some where it just conflicts with their Christian beliefs. We got an email one time from a mom who said, in all caps, we do not believe in reincarnation at all. But she was respecting what her child had to say. It was given a lot of details about a past life. Did you reach out to you initially? Yes, she did. Because she was perplexed by what her child was telling her. There are also parents who are upset because the child is upset. There's often this strong emotional involvement with this material. The children may be crying every day, begging their parents to take them to their previous family or to the previous place. But it's not a fun experience for many of these families. It would be shocking and confusing, and the parents really wouldn't know what to do. Exactly. That's often why they are reaching out to us. These children who are reporting information from this past life, and for parents who are open-minded enough to take these kids back to the place a kid wants to go to, like a park or something that they remember, from my perspective, I'm always looking for the healing that might take place. Does that relieve any distress for the kid? It often does, actually. Like James meeting Houston's sister. In a number of cases, the child has met the previous family and taken to the previous place. You might think that the intensity would increase after that contact, but often it decreases. I think for a couple of reasons. One is it validates their memories. It's unusual for a child to claim memories, but then they see that, yes, they they were not crazy, that there really was this past place and past life. But they also see that it is in the past, that these families have gone on, that life has continued. That's often the message that will encourage parents to give to the child, that yes, these bad things may have happened before, especially Mm -hmm. when the child has a traumatic death memory, but you're safe with us now. And Mm -hmm. you're going to have a good life with us. If a client of mine has experienced trauma in the past, it seems to be that's what our minds do. Our consciousness does. It gets stuck in that traumatic loop. And that is the healing part to say, okay, that was in the past. It's already over. And you are in a safe place now and can re-experience that trauma from a different perspective. So it's not so immediate. There's more objectivity and distance from the traumatic event. Well, that's right. I mean, this is very similar to PTSD in many ways. And Mm -hmm. helping the children detach from that memory can certainly be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Now, fortunately for our cases, the memories tend to fade anyway. Traumatic memories, unfortunately, are ones that often stick with us even when we don't want them to. And in our cases, 70% of the children describe a death that ended by some sort of unnatural means, murder, suicide, combat, accident, that sort of thing. That certainly seems to be an important factor in our cases. And it may be that the other memories of the life come along with those, but the driving force 
would be the traumatic ones that come across. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, for most of the kids, the memories really start to fade, and for many of them actually disappear. By the time the child is school age, the vast mm -hmm. majority have stopped talking about the past life, and they get completely wrapped up in their current life. Mm -hmm. Which is probably a good thing. Absolutely. Yes. We're currently doing a study where we are interviewing adults who we originally studied when they were children. Mm -hmm. And some of them still say they have a few past life memories. Many of them say they have none. Looking back, even though it may have been very difficult when they were younger, some of them find that overall it was a positive experience in the sense that it gave them a broader kind of outlook on life and, yeah. and sometimes sort of a more spiritual outlook to know that they did have these memories before. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that I probably was one of those kids. I have a lot of memories before six years old and have definitely picked up on themes that I carry with me. And I'm a meditator and mm -hmm. teach meditation. So this, mm -hmm. this is not foreign to me. And I do think that consciousness is so much more expansive than we give our own selves credit yeah. for. Yeah, and it's interesting where you've got early memories that filter is variable. There are some people who remember literally nothing before school age, and then there are others who remember a lot. It does make sense that the memories from past life fade at the same time that most of our memories from early childhood fade. It's consistent with that. Now that you've listened to the first half of my interview with Jim Tucker, I am super curious about your perspective. Did you have past life memories when you were a kid? Do you have a story that you like to share or your own perspective about reincarnation? If you want to contact me, just go to Instagram at Erica Marku and send me a message. And now I want to take a moment to talk about Jim Tucker's book titled Before Children's Memories of Previous Lives. The book is an updated version of his New York Times bestseller, Return to Life, Jim shares his extensive research that gives persuasive evidence that some children do, in fact, possess memories of past lives, and his work is highly praised by integrative medicine pioneer Deepak Chopra and international past life counselor Carol Bowman. He shares what children have said and whether their statements match the life of a particular person who is deceased. A captivating read, he urges you to think about life, death, and reincarnation and to reflect about your own consciousness and spirituality. To purchase this book titled Before, go to yourtruthrevealed.com slash store. And if your child is reporting past life memories and you're concerned, contact Jim Tucker at jimbtucker.com. In the next episode, Jim shares some very interesting stories about people who were born with certain birth effects that were supposedly related to the way in which they died in a previous life. A number of the children have shown birthmarks or even full birth defects that match fatal wounds on the body of the previous person. There's one case where the previous man was killed by a shotgun blast to the side of his head. And the little boy was born with just a stub for an ear and an underdeveloped right side of his face. When he got old enough to talk, he described these memories. Until next time, please subscribe and rate the show. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.